Have you seen? Did you see the news that former Seattle um, Mariners shortstop Alex Rodriguez is in trouble? <laughs> in a whole wow. heap of trouble. That's yeah. That's uh, that's some that's some good spin. That's some good spin right there. Yeah. Um, who does he play for currently? I believe he's suspended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> yeah i heard that and uh and he's not happy about it no he's not um do you see one of the he's been railroaded yeah well i didn't watch the 60 (laughs) minutes thing did you watch it i heard that that it was pretty good i don't have the stomach for that make a pretty good case (laughs) particularly this week um the weirdest part about it, and maybe the part that, again, I always want to bring this up. I try to put it in terms that people who don't care about baseball might care about. The gist is this guy got suspended for taking performance-enhancing drugs for the entire season. Regular season is 162 games. He got 162-game suspension, and that it includes the postseason, just to make the point. Even if – I think it's pretty unlikely that if the Yankees made the postseason and the guy had missed all 162 games that they'd add him. But – Just to make sure that there's no controversy about it, that the suspension explicitly includes that. But it does not include spring training. And Alex Rodriguez has stated that he he uh, plans to attend spring training. And it's like the 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 rules that govern Major League Baseball and the Players Association are such that, you know, if he's on on, you know, under contract, he's, you know, he wants to come to spring training, he can come to spring training. Which is going to be, needless to say, yeah, awkward. <laughs> and and I follow a whole bunch of Yankees beat writers on Twitter, and they really had a blast with it. It was really funny. Like they're like imagining the questions they could ask Girardi. Like, uh, you know, like if he plays in spring training and has a good day, like what what's the point? You know, it's like right. he, you know right. you can't use him. Like he's just he's taking up. Yeah, space. but they don't want to. They can. I mean, they. They. Why wouldn't they change their roster? I mean, they don't want to use a spot. I don't know. For I don't know what they're going to do. Someone who's not going to play. I really don't know what they're going to do. It's. It's just seems. You know. It just seems like everything is set up for someone to have the good taste not to show. Up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, Except it's Alex. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of good. Well, good taste. luck with that. <sighs> Speaking of good play, taste, I wonder if can he play Venezuelan ball. You know what people said that. Uh, I don't know uh, what their uh, rules are. Well, it, I believe uh, the, nobody's quite sure, and I'm not even sure if things like the like everybody knows how much money the players make in a contract because there's you know it's part of the you know there's a salary cap type thing where you get a penalty if you go over. That's all public information. I'm not sure if all the details and clauses of each contract are public but it's presumed that it's probably you know against his contract with the Yankees that he he can't play professional oh, baseball play. elsewhere but okay. as some one of the other writers said well it's Alex Rodriguez do you really think he's not going to you know I don't know where I don't know where else they play in the same months but you know go over and oh yeah I mean that's well that's winter ball right maybe go play so, in I mean, Japan he would have to, could he I go play he'd in have Japan to, he'd have to be playing already right I guess they're oh God, that would be <laughs> 
That would be pretty funny. Right. Like somebody said they wouldn't pass it wouldn't yeah. put it past them to just play in that like a beer league softball league in Miami. Yeah. And just have And they and they do switch back and forth between um sometimes they switch back and forth between Japan and, and the US throughout the season, I think. Because um when we were in Japan in, back in two thousand, my wife was writing for the newspaper. She wrote a couple of stories about um baseball in Japan because the Mariners were getting um, Kazuhiro Sasaki, uh, who was the closer, who was a terrific closer for us for a few years. Um, and he had played for, God, I can't remember the Hanshi now. Blue Wave, no, Oryx Blue Wave, that was, that was Ichiro. Anyway, he played for the, one of the local teams in, near Tokyo. And so she went and interviewed some of the players to talk about him. And one of the guys she interviewed, and I can't remember who it was, was, a. Uh, um, was an American guy, and and then uh, we when we went back home and we were watching the playoffs that year. Boston was in the playoffs that year, and uh, he was he was he was like running around the bases, <laughs> like that's that guy, that's that guy you talked to. <laughs> so he played in Japan, and then came and the, and then the, I guess the Red Sox picked him up, probably in September. So it's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know. Very strange story. Um, <laughs> speaking of strange stories, um, what's, I guess the big news, if we're going to talk about news, we want to take the show seriously. I guess the big news this week is, uh, Google buying Nest. That, that would be it. Right. Uh, did you, do you have a Nest? I do not. I do not either. Even though I kind of would want Mine one. Mine is decidedly old school. Yeah. Just you know, it seems like a good idea, but it just and I never really got around. To it's it. not something that I really care that much about. I mean, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I, kinda, I work at home. I work at home, so I'm never like driving home and hoping to have the heat turned up. Yep. Yeah, more or less. And I do kind of hate our thermostat UI, but sure. <laughs> but like 363 days out of the year, I really just want to like hit up arrow down arrow which works pretty well (laughs) and the other two days is when it's like how do you switch it from like sometimes turning on the heat sometimes turning off the heat to sometimes turning on the air sometimes turning off the air and every time i have to do that i I get totally lost and i'm i might be doing it wrong and then i think i should buy a nest and then i figure it out and then you know six months later i'm in the opposite it's not something i want to drop 250 bucks on yeah, it's not that. It's just not that important. I mean, Even though it does seem, you know, beautiful. Yeah, it's no, like it right seems wonderfully it. well designed, and it would it would be nice, but it's not what it's. I've got other problems, right? And <laughs> many, many other problems. You know, and I've always thought it was a decidedly Apple like approach. Not just because it's a bunch of people like Tony Fidel and a lot of the people he's hired who came from Apple, and not just because it's visually attractive. But because it has come into this market and simply it didn't just come in 10% better. It came in and like looks 20 years in the future from everything else on the market. Like, and, and nobody had really mm-hmm. – people might mutter under their breath for a while about thermostats, but nobody really saw that coming. Just an overwhelmingly better concept for how the whole thing should be designed and work. Right. Which to me is a very Apple-like approach. I mean, that, to me, that's exactly like what the iPhone was to the, the phone market. Completely rethinking the problem. Right. It's what the iPod was to portable music players. Completely rethinking the problem. 
you know, screw yeah. this the 10 songs in your pocket or a spinning CD in your pocket. It's, you know, here's a thousand songs in your pocket. Right. And you can, now, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's a good, it seems like it's a good buy for Google. Um, but it doesn't seem like Apple missed out on anything particularly. No. And the reports are, you know, and I trust the, I think it was Kara Swisher. I know it was at recode. Um, do we say recode or do we say reslash code? <laughs> recode. Recode. <laughs> I'm, um, not, I'm not saying reslash code. You know what though? I, I, it, I, maybe this is the first it's, time. Does it's somebody have somebody said that? I don't know, but it's the first, it's the first time I think I've mentioned it on the show. And, but I thought about it when the name was announced. You know, this is the, the former team of all things D is now re slash code, recode. Um, is that to me, it, it, maybe I watch too many like police dramas on TV and movies like that, but it sounds to me like, you know, like they're trying to get these guys on the Rico statutes. <laughs> right. You know, we recode them. <laughs> we'll get them on a Rico, you know? Isn't that what they, how they lined up all the criminals in the last Batman movie? <laughs> you know, I th- <laughs> my wife, who is an attorney, immediately, like, she, anytime anything like that ever happens, I turn to her and she gives me either the, yeah, hey, right. she'll give me either the, not bad, or she'll give me the eye roll, which is no, no, you know. Which is funny because when she, when it's something like that legally comes up in a in a movie or TV show, I will look to her and say, "Is this is this right? Is this even in the ballpark?" And she'll you know give me like a you know the 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 look on her face will tell me. But whenever it's a computer related thing, and I want to, <laughs> I want to <laughs> not, not interested. No, she's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> she has no interest in the plausibility. Shut up, nerd. In the plausibility of their of their. Uh, Computer-related plot points. Uh, Happy to accept everything that Sandra Bullock says in yeah. <laughs> whatever that movie was. Uh, uh, it was like the floppy network. The floppy. No. The floppy. <laughs> Wasn't it called the floppy? <laughs> the Mac Two. The Mac Two VX. Whatever. It was. The zip disk. <laughs> the zip disk. Floppy Two. The zip disk. <laughs> God, that's, that a, that's a nice product placement in that one. That would have been a great movie. Um, anyway, Kara Swisher at Recode. I think it was Kara Swisher, but somebody at Recode reported that Apple wasn't even really a serious bidder, that nobody was, you know, that when it came down to it, I guess, you know, as often happens with these acquisitions, they were going for a second round of VC funding at a higher valuation. And, you know, rather than take another round of funding, Google is like, look, we'll just, we'll just buy you up. Um, for three point two billion dollars, which I believe is, it, it you know it's like it's all relative, and it's you know it's like well that's not that much because they spent twelve billion on Motorola, um, but it's actually a, the second biggest acquisition Google's ever made. It was uh, I think Overture, the ad company. I might be getting the name of the ad company wrong, but it, I don't know. Four um, or five years ago, they bought an ad company for three yeah. three billion dollars. Um, and so it is a pretty big deal, you know, if it's the second biggest ever. And and the when they bought the ad company, it it was so clear why they were doing it because how does Google make 97% of their money by ads, online ads? So of course they're going to buy other ad companies. Um whereas the Motorola thing is a little bit more, you know, why exactly would they spend 12 billion dollars on this? What were they thinking? And uh with Nest, I think it's, you know, it is not quite clear why. 
everybody seemed to jump on it immediately, or at least the people I tend to follow who are a little bit more Google skeptical, Google cautious, um, you know, immediately thought, and I have to admit, the thought jumped to my head is, do you want Google collecting, you know, I mean, right. and yeah. there's smoke Lawyer. detectors too, and the smoke detectors have, you know, I don't know who knows what kind of sensors, and presumably they could eventually add cameras to these things, you know, that Google, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, but even without it, even as the products stand today, with some kind of integration that Google would be collecting and tying it to your, you know, their sense of your identity. Sure. Um you know, when you're home, for example, they definitely, you know, that's the whole point of Nest is that Nest knows when you're home and adjusts the temperature accordingly, you know, that you, you, you save money and, you know, save energy by keeping the house, you know, not running the air conditioner or heater so much when the house is empty. Do you want Google to know that? And what could they, you know, how can they use that to further show you, you know, the creepy ads? <laughs> Ads for sweaters. Yeah, I don't. I, so they asked. So if I was if I was in the market for one now, I don't. I would really seriously think twice about it. I got Pers- a lot, personally. I got a lot of email and Twitter replies, and I think I tried to be uh, um, cautiously you know, n- neutral in terms of the privacy aspects of it rather than jump to any conclusions. Um, you know, I, I tried to do the opposite of fanning the flames of of uh, assuming that Google is going to collect the, as much intruding data as they can get out of these devices. That's not what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but Based on Twitter. Even so <laughs> I got a lot of at replies from people who either A, immediately said i i have a nest and now i really deeply regret it and i'm thinking about taking it out yeah i got a couple of replies like that too and b people people. who said you know i was really thinking about getting one of these and now no way now it is also the case that the sort of people who write me emails or have even heard of me (laughs) are are not typical disinclined to be well they're not typical consumers in general and b they're a little bit you know, a little bit more on the as Google and Apple sort of forge a sort of rivalry. You know, they're clearly more likely to be on the Apple side. And yeah, part but it's of also that, it's also about business model. It's not just about taking sides. It's it's buying into a certain business model where you buy something and it's yours without with fewer ties. And people may argue with that definition of the difference between Google and Apple, but. You know, when you're using Gmail, there are there are certain and you know you're you're sucked into Google Plus and you're sucked into all these other things and you know they're trying to get to get you to accept emails from Google Plus users that you don't know. All this stuff there's there's a lot of extra baggage there. Is my has always been my concern with it. Yeah. So well, it's it's that it's that business model. It's not nothing about Google itself. Let's come back to that. I'm going to take a break right here for a sponsor, but let's come back to the business model angle because I feel like we could go long on that, and I think it's a big part of the sort of divide. Our first sponsor, I want to talk to you about our old friends, longtime sponsors of the show, Drobo. Um, Drobo, if you don't know. Oh, I do. Personal storage. You buy it. You interchange 
physical hard drives in this thing, and it just all the Drobo magically makes it appear as a single unit of storage. What do I mean? So you could have a Drobo that has, um, let's say, a six terabyte Drobo, and it has three two terabyte drives in it. It just looks like a six terabyte drive to your Mac. And then if it starts to fill up, what you can do is uh, at a certain point, it'll give you these little warning lights. You could just take one of those drives out, just pop it out, put like a four terabyte drive in to replace that one, and it'll just make it all work. It freaks me out every time. Because and in the works. old days, in the old days, you couldn't even disconnect drives when your computer. Yeah, well, was that's off. the thing. It's the Finder. I think the Finder has trained us to be so like, right. freaky about taking drives out. That, right. That you and I did a, this just. I did this just the other day because I I took a, an old drive out of an iMac and put a new um, uh, what is it? Not hybrid drive in it to speed it up a little bit. It's an old iMac. And so I took the drive from the iMac and put it in my Drobo. And, and I've done it several times before, but every time it just I'm just like, am I supposed to be doing this? And every time it works. The Drobo simplifies storage so significantly. It's, it's just, it, it, it's like magic. Now they have three models for Mac users. They have the Drobo 5D. It's a five drive system with Thunderbolt and USB 3. They have the Drobo 5N, and is for network. It's a five-drive network storage system that connects via gigabit Ethernet. Uh, and they have the uh, Drobo Mini, which is designed for portability. It's, it emphasizes uh, size and weight, um, which is available uh, in four or five-drive models with your choice of interfaces, gigabit or Ethernet. Uh, or gigabit Ethernet, I'm sorry. Uh, it's fast to set up Drobo. And after you've set it up, you just you just can just ignore it. You don't have to do any kind of management on a regular basis other than just look at the lights to make sure it's not full. Uh, you just plug in the drives, plug in the power, connect to your Mac, and then you use the Drobo dashboard to format it, and off you go. Blue indicators show how full the Drobo is. Uh, each one represents 10%, so you just 10 of them, and is it you know you don't want to let it fill up. If it's starting to get close, then you got to think about maybe either putting another drive in if you have empty bays, or replacing a smaller one with a bigger capacity drive. Um, it it really it sounds too good to be true, and I you know it, it I know that the idea of just pulling <laughs> pulling a, a drive out of a thing. <laughs> it it actually makes my heart hurt a little bit, but it works. <laughs> I swear it works. Um, I've got the uh, Drobo 5D here, um, and it it, it 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 does exactly what they say on the tin. So you can buy it. Here's the ways that you can buy um, a Drobo. You could buy, let's just say, I'm not going to read them all, but there's different price points. You just it's sort of like buying a computer. If you want to buy your own, you know, like if you want to buy your own RAM for your computer, you can do that, or you could buy it stocked with drives already. And I think unlike buying RAM from Apple, where they kind of charge you a premium, I think the drive prices that they sell are pretty reasonable. But just for example, you could buy a zero terabyte uh, Drobo 5N. In other words, you're going to supply your own hard drives uh, for $549. You could get a 5D for $699. You could get, uh, here's the biggest one, 20 terabytes. That's five four terabyte drives, uh, $1,500. And uh, seventeen hundred for the five D, uh, but that's a huge. That's twenty terabytes of storage. You could get a six terabyte. There's sort of the middle of the road with three two terabyte drives. You'd have two open slots that you could fill later. Just 
plug a new drive in and magically the volume will just appear to be bigger when you get full. 900 bucks. Really, really good prices. And it's just an amazing device. Um, so, it, you know, part of the magic of it is that um, it duplicates the data across the drives that you have in the device, which is how the magic of pulling one out is, that no one physical drive holds any, you know, a unique instance of a bit. And then you put a new drive in, and it just sort of recopies, propagates the, the data across it. Can't emphasize enough how much it's a, a just works product. They've been around for a couple years. Um, and I know that a ton of people who are very happy Drobo users. So check them out. Here's where you go to find out more. Go to www.drobostore.com uh, and check it out. Yeah, I've had mine for years now. And it's just been chugging along. Do you have all the bays full? It's an investment. Yeah, I have now I have all the bays full. So I'm... It's one of those things that you bought. It's it. going to last me a little bit longer, but uh, it'll get to the point where I'm going to. I'm either going to need to redo the drives because they're they're just. I'm just using terabyte drives, so I could up the drive space. Uh, but I have to reformat it because of the way I formatted it in the first place, because I've maxed out. Because I got it so long ago, that I thought, oh, four terabytes. I'm never going <laughs> to. You'll never go up to four terabytes. No, never need more than that. Never need more than six hundred forty kilobytes. <laughs> So business models, I do. Th I almost think that this gets overlooked in in writing about this growing uh, divide, because like in the old days, when there, let's say the divide that you and I cared most about was sort of a Microsoft versus you know Wintel versus Mac sort of thing. Um, you know, there was a subtle divide where. Apple was making most of its money by selling hardware, but everybody more or less saw the rivalry as more about Mac versus Windows mm -hmm. rather than Mac versus or Apple versus Dell versus HP versus Compaq. Um, but everybody was in it to make money, you know, by people buying hardware and software. So Microsoft's income from Windows and Office was people would buy a PC and the PC had Windows preloaded and the OEM would kick, you know, some 15, 25, whatever dollars up to Microsoft for the Windows version that was included. And Intel got paid for the CPU that was in it. Um, and it was all more or less about, you know, people would make a purchase and the purchase price was higher than the cost of goods. And that difference was the profit for who made it. And so in effect, there was still sort of the same you know, it's sort of an old-fashioned, you know, this is how commerce has always worked. Whereas with Apple and Google, it is very different, where Google is on this, we'll give you everything for free, for the most part. I mean, obviously, like, the Nexus devices aren't free. Um, They're significantly discounted. Right. They are, you know, a, a, an unlocked Nexus 5 phone, which it's not exactly a spec-for-spec spec equivalent to an iPhone. I think the iPhone is definitely in some regards, you know, qualifies as a higher caliber device, but it's like $399 to start. Whereas an iPhone is, I don't, I think like $600 to start. Something like that. But for the most part where people see them as competing, it's, you know, they're giving it away and, you know, and it affects Google versus Microsoft too, uh, where Microsoft is always, you know, hasn't 
traditionally made devices, they just license the OS, but they do it for money. Whereas Google's Android, you know, has really disrupted Windows um, by just saying, here, take it, you know, and you can either take it the way we want you to take it with all of our services and stuff, and we'll promote it and we'll give you the app store. Or, you know, you could even do like what Amazon has done and take take it as an open source thing and fork it and do your own complete derivative of it. And I think that it gets overlooked, but there's still, there's still, you have nothing is really free. I mean, I know it's it's one of the oldest cliches in the world that there's no such thing as a free lunch, but you do pay eventually somehow. And with Google services, for the most part, you pay with your privacy, you know, that you get free um, email from Gmail, but they don't just parse your email looking for spam. They parse your email for everything and then show you ads related to it. So if you're, you know, I guess, I don't know, I don't really use the Gmail interface much, but, you know, it seems like if you're emailing somebody about buying a car, you start seeing ads for cars. Which, you know, and, and some people, <laughs> a lot, obviously a lot of people think that's a fine trade-off and they're willing to do it, but it's a very different model. Yeah. And I don't have it. I mean, I certainly don't have any problem with anybody who who prefers that, who prefers a lower cost option that's ad based. That's fine, but it's not what I want from my experience. Right. Yeah. And I also think that there's it. it, it I'm completely with yeah. you. I mean, I think no surprise there. I mean, I think it's, you know, anybody who follows my writing or the show would would not surprised by that that I'd rather pay for quality and just be you know have the transaction be done than have some sort right. of ambiguous data collection thing behind it but I totally understand how other people would see it that way if you don't care that Google is you know doing that and you think this is great I'm saving all this money on software because I'm getting it all free from Google I totally understand that I don't I don't agree with it personally I don't feel that way but I could see how somebody else would but I feel like a lot of the people on the other side think that the people who pay like to pay for stuff from Apple or from you know other companies uh they somehow cannot wrap their heads around that and think that, you know, it, it mm-hmm. and then, hen- you know, then start down the road of, you know, the cult of Mac and, you know. <laughs> and I think to me, that's the biggest, that's the bigger problem, but there's also this sort of Walmart effect that where, because, I mean, Google moves into these markets and, and then drives a bunch of people out of business and, and then reduces the number of options and then maybe abandons it. Right, and which they've done before, which they've done in several cases before. Google Reader, I think, is right. the example that would resonate with the, our audience the best. That they truly def. I mean, they came into the RSS market and just devastated it. I mean, and if they had had their heart in in Google Reader, you know, it would have been, I guess, for the better. You know, or at least for people who liked Google Reader, that that there would have been one vibrant RSS reader left. But what they, you know, they came in, put everyone else out of business by doing everything for free, and then they lost interest in it, and it just withered. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it's coming back a little bit now, but it's, you know, we're sort of in this <laughs> period of regrowth from something that was squashed. Right. So what do you think? I what do you think Google was thinking when they bought Nest? 
Well, I think there's 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 buying. I mean, bu- buying Tony Fidel is part of it, right? That's what I think. I really yeah. mean it, and it wasn't just me trying to write a column that was not about data collection. But I really do think, especially for three point two billion, which again, not that much compared to Motorola, but it's a lot of money, especially for a company that I think is only currently at like a hundred and some million dollars in revenue a year. Um, it, it just seems to me like it has to be a bigger picture. And I just, I, I don't, I've never met Tony Fidel, but I just get the feeling though, that he's a lot more ambitious than that, that it was never about thermostats and smoke alarms. Yeah. And they were invested. Google ventures was invested in nest prior to this and somebody wrote and i haven't read it yet but there's somebody wrote a piece about how that worked about how um what that how that that transaction works out when google ventures is an investor in something that they end up buying yeah and more or less panzerino maybe yeah but it's more or less it's not quite like $3 $3 billion because a lot of that $3 billion, or at least a significant chunk of it, it was, goes, right was back, their own, yeah. goes to Google Ventures. It's a right. little bit of your left hand. What's the phrase? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Robin Peter to pay Paul. I don't know. Egg planting? Is that what? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, correlated to the Nest thing. Uh, well, here, I'll say this. Why do you think Apple wasn't interested? Uh, well, they don't, I don't think they need it to the tune of $3.2 million. I mean, they have product people and I mean, there's no doubt that Tony Fidel is a great product guy and Google really needs a great product guy more than Apple needs a great product guy. I agree on both parts. I think if they really wanted Tony Fidel, they would have kept him. Yeah. And, 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 but my understanding though, is that when Fidel left Apple, it was not, it may not have been singing kumbaya you know i think it was slightly contentious but i think in a very professional way we're not i I shouldn't say professional that's not quite right but not in a contentious way like with scott forstall where forstall yeah he wasn't he wasn't forced out right forstall was like a game of thrones type thing you know (laughs) (laughs) joffrey you know uh, you know some (laughs) There's blood all over the That's place. unfair. That's unfair right. to call anybody Joffrey. <laughs> right. No, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Uh, but I think he I think he was taken by surprise is more what I think. I don't I don't I don't think Forstall saw it coming and I think it was uh he was more or less cleaved. It was, you know. Yeah. Whereas I think with Fidel it was, you know, like a handshake and a you know uh-huh. You know, good luck. Seriously, so who good did? Luck. Who did? Do you? I mean, I, there was a rumor that I had heard that he he didn't get along with Johnny um, Ive. Johnny Ive, right? Yeah, I that comes from um, Leander Connie's new book. Yeah, which I, I haven't yeah. read yet. I do. I should. That's really. That, it really seems almost professionally negligent that I haven't. But uh, but I haven't read that yet. Um. So I don't know. That might be true. I I don't know. You know, it's, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I always thought it was a little bit more um, with Forstall, even though Forstall, I, I by all accounts that I've ever heard, really had nothing to do with the design of iPhone hardware. Um, but he, you know, until he was ousted, he, you know, was 
the the undisputed leader of iOS software, you know, other than Steve Jobs. Um, and that it all stemmed back from the early days of how are they going to, you know, when they committed to build a phone, were they going to use OS 10 and strip it down? Or were they going to use um, the iPhone OS and sort of build it up? And that Tony Fidel and you mean iPod, iPod OS, yeah. Uh, or something mm -hmm. like it, some other thing like a sort of an embedded systems type thing, like based on right. Linux, and build that up as like a whole new thing. And so basically, yeah. So basically, the new wave of iPods would be based on iPhones. I well, but but, but also, I mean, but Fidel was in charge of iPods, right? And it was probably clearly becoming becoming clear that that division would be less important, right, in the future. And would also probably be pushed into using software that was under Forstall's control. Right. Well, they were, right. Like in the first iPod Touch, and to my understanding, I don't even know if there is such a division anymore because, I mean, who knows what's going on with, yeah. with non-iPod Touch iPods. Um, but like the, the original iPod Touch, which came out three, three months after the iPhone, was built by the same people who did the iPhone. I mean, clearly, software-wise, it was. I mean, I think the only yeah. difference was that uh, it had, instead of having an like, remember the iPhone for a couple of years had an app called iPod. Right. And on the iPod, it had two apps, music and video. But, I mean, other than that, it was the exact same software. Uh, so, I, so I always thought that that was my understanding. Somewhat informed. I don't have any direct source, no secret, you know, high-level source who who absolutely positively confirmed it. But when I wrote about it, nobody – usually what happens if I take an informed guess and I'm wrong, somebody will correct me off the record, and then I'll try to correct it publicly. But like the story I've heard and told and was never corrected on was more or less Fidel and Steve Sockerman and a few others built – you know, were just – you know, it was like two teams. One team went to build an iPhone that was based on like a Linux embedded system thing, sort of like – not who knows what the interface would have been like. But effectively, like more like what we knew of then as iPods, and um, Bertrand and Serlay and um, uh, Forstall, engineering and design, uh, went off to let's take Mac OS X and build something new that could run on a phone size device, and you know that's the side that won. And when they did. You know, that was clearly the new A team at Apple and Fidel wasn't really part of it. And like the way I remember pretty much the way I phrased it on Daring Fireball was that, you know, the iPhone is clearly the new A team and Tony Fidel doesn't seem like a B team guy. And so, I, sure. you know, it wasn't like he was pushed out and it wasn't contentious. I think he just saw that he was no longer, you know, when he was leading the iPod division, he was, you know, the leader of the A team at Apple. And so he left. But I don't think it was contentious. Uh, yeah, and I also think, and I think you mentioned the same thing, that if Apple wanted to build a smart thermostat of their own, they could, that they don't need to buy someone to do it. Right. It doesn't seem like there's just, I mean, it's, it wasn't as important for Apple to, I mean, you know, if they wanted to get into home automation, then yeah, I guess they could, they could have bought them, but it seems like they could also just do the same thing for $3.2 million. Right with stuff that they have lying around. Which, uh, 
well, you know what? I'll take a break. Let me take a break, and we'll come back to it. And I'll, I want to come back to the uh, Walter Isaacson thing. Um, our next sponsor is app.io, app.io. Are you still using pictures and videos to market your app? Are you not getting the downloads or exposure that your app deserves? Um, then why don't you try a playable demo instead? At app.io, they enable your native iOS app to be playable in any browser. No plugins or downloads, just click and play instantly. It's super easy, embeddable anywhere, and takes less than 30 seconds to enable your app. You can create a playable demo now at app.io. Uh, I checked this out for Vesper. It, it, we don't use it. I can't say that we use it, but it it is absolutely on our list of, hmm, maybe. Uh, and it, it really is what they say. It gives you – it's sort of like watching a uh, – like when you – when somebody puts like a screencast movie of the app on the website, except instead of just being a recorded movie of some actions, the things that are tappable are tappable, the things that are scrollable are scrollable. Ah. Um, kind of black magic, I have to say. Like, I, heard, <laughs> it, I did. I heard it, and I was like, well, how can that be? It doesn't really seem right. Uh, uh, But it works. So where do you go to find out more? Go to app, A-P-P dot I-O, www.app.io, and, uh, and check it out. And they have some great demos, and you can see for yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm actually I'm play, I'm playing a game on it right now. I will emphasize, too, <laughs> that you, it's like you give them your native app, and they turn it into this thing somehow. It's not like some kind of goofy toolkit where you build your whole app out of, you know, web page elements or something like that. You, you don't have, you know, you start by building a regular app, and then they turn it into the demo. It's not like a framework or something like that that you have to start with from scratch. Um, so if you're an app developer, you really should check it out just to satisfy your curiosity at how the damn thing works. It's really pretty interesting. It's computer magic. .app.io. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what did I say we were going to come back to? Oh, Walter Isaacson. Isaacson. So Isaacson, uh, Steve Jobs' biographer. God, what a d terrible decision Jobs made picking this guy. Because <laughs> now he's like, like never, you know. Now he, he, everybody said before he wrote the book, well, this guy's never really covered technology at all. Doesn't seem to have any. And uh, and now he's appearing on CNN talking here. See Right, CNBC, something like that. Now he's an expert about te technology and innovation. The I word. Man, that innovation has got to be like <laughs> in the whole era since Steve Jobs died. It, this has got to be like the defining word of of Apple news coverage, pro or con. Is you know this innovation? Everything is innovation. So he's on CNBC, and what did he say? Well, <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff. Um, not quite basically, I mean, basically saying that Google is now out, out innovating Apple and that this acquisition of Nest is just another sign of that, which I don't understand at all because buying somebody is not innovating. They haven't shipped anything based on that acquisition yet. Of course, they're, you know, I guess you could say that they're shipping Nests from Google at, or will be as of the act when the acquisition is closed, but 
there's no there's no new thing that's come out of this acquisition yet. And nothing it, that's nothing that's innovative. And the thing that gets me is that he compares it directly to uh, the iPhone finally China, hitting China mobile deal, yeah. the China mobile network. And China mobile is is not just like another carrier in China. It's the like biggest by far mobile carrier in China. And the iPhone hadn't been on it officially. Um, I think the two things aren't really comparable. Well, they're not comparable. That's not the same thing. I mean, one is a, one is an acquisition. One is a, one is a distribution deal. Right. And it just seems to me like they just happen to be the two things related to the two companies that are in the news this week. Like, so in terms of the broad scope uh, you know, big picture, which company is more innovative than the other? What what could be less relevant than just the two most recent bits of data that just happened to have come out the week that he's on the show? Like, it seems like the worst kind of trying to draw a cause and Simplistic. effect. Simplistic. Yeah. yeah. It, it could not be any more. It's so short-sighted. Like, who's more innovative this week? <laughs> This and, week in innovation, including one of the companies which is notoriously secretive. Yeah, <laughs> and the other one is open about everything. Right. Well, like, not everything. Not everything, but and I likes, think, to, likes to talk about what it's doing all the time. I think anybody who would, you know, even somebody who who would like to make the case that Apple is is incredibly more innovative than any other company that they're number one and that number two is so far behind they're not even worth talking about. I don't even think that person would want to argue that the iPhone hitting China mobile is innovative. I mean, it's, it's another carrier. It happens to be a massively large carrier and, but that's, nobody would argue that that's innovative from a technology standpoint. It's just simply a, a very large potential source of new iPhone users. It's just a business. It's a business deal. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody could argue otherwise. I mean, there's a bit of trickery involved where I think that the iPhones that they are shipping to China Mobile are technically different SKUs because China Mobile uses a a bizarro. They're sort of like the Verizon of China, where they have like a bizarro uh, network spectrum. Network, yeah. And so the antenna is just tuned to a different, you know. Uh, but that's not. Yeah. But that's you know that, that's, that's nothing boring. Yeah. And then somewhere inside <laughs> Apple, there's there's an engineer on the antenna team who listens to the talk show who's suddenly he's banging his head, crying, the table. crying his eyes out because he's <laughs> he probably had to like solve Fermat's last theorem to to get it working. It's like the 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 hardest thing anybody at Apple has ever done, and he got like a, a gold medal from Tim Cook, and was told you can never tell anybody. <laughs> Take this to your grave. And then Molson Gruber just said, "Ah, don't be." Yeah, <laughs> screw that guy. <laughs> just <laughs> sorry, unnamed antenna engineer who listens to the talk show. Uh, your work is very innovative. We value your contribution. Right. Uh, and so here's the other thing I quoted. Did not. This is a quote from Isaacson, and I always want to be careful with things like this because. Uh, it, it matters what he actually said and how they phrase it. So, like, I, the headline that that CNBC used is "Google steals innovation crowd from Apple: Colin Isaacson." 
But I don't think, as far as I could tell, that's not a, he didn't say Google has stolen the innovation crowd. That's the headline they've put on his spin. He's definitely arguing that Google is more innovative, but that, that phrase that they've stolen the crown is them, you know, sensationalizing it. But here is an actual quote. Uh, I think Steve Jobs would have wanted as the next disruptive thing to either have wearable like watches (laughs) or TV. I mean, I, I shouldn't mock because i'm sure if you took the the transcript of this show i say all sorts of things that i wouldn't write well, yeah but wearable like yes, watches yes, is, yes it is really hard to to do that i'm sure i think what he meant is wearable devices like watches not not watches that might be wearable <laughs> oh you can almost wear this watch <laughs> It's really, it's really just an eleven. <laughs> For inch. some reason, the band is only three inches long. <laughs> it's really just an eleven-inch MacBook Air with a leather strap. <laughs> but it has a hardware keyboard, uh, uh, or an easy TV that you can walk into the room and say, "Put on Squawk Box." Squawk Box is the show on CNBC that he was appearing on. Uh, dot dot dot. Or disrupt the digital camera industry or disrupt textbooks. Now, I, that's the part on my little post on During Fireball that I hung on. I actually don't know how the textbook thing is going with iPads. I think it was two years ago where they had the special textbook event in yeah, New York. Uh, iPad or iPad author? iOS author? Boy, I what's hope that, that wasn't three years ago because if it was three years ago, time is really flying by. Uh, do you want to quick Google that? I thought it was two years ago, but what's that thing? I author? What is that thing called? I can't even remember. God, your keyboard's louder than mine. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's not. It's not clicky. I books author, and I misspelled author. January twenty twelve education okay. event. So Thank I'm you. correct. Two years ago. Didn't follow it up last year, you know, and that's a little unusual for Apple. It was sort of, you know, it was like a one-off event that was like nothing they've done before or since, you know, just a sort of education event at a new location. And they didn't follow it up last year. I don't know why. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about anything this year. Um, I don't know how that's going. And I, I really, I just, you know, just seeing him say that, I would be curious to hear, you know, from people in, in education. Um <laughs> they have a new guy watching them now. That's another thing we could talk about. Oh, we should actually. The, the books, the books. Although that's not quite deal. related to textbooks, but no, I guess not. Right. But but anyway, I do think they're trying to disrupt textbooks uh, at the very least. But the other part about digital camera industry—I mean—is he nuts? Have you gone to any sort of touristy type location? any time recently and seen what people are doing with their iPhones. And, you know, as, as I'm really trying to get over my, my aversion to it, iPads as cameras. I mean, it, 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 I would argue that they've, well, and maybe that's not quite fair, but I think it's very close that, that seven years in, the iPhone has disrupted the camera industry as much as it has the phone industry. I, I sure. I just think I think a big part of it is that it's called the iPhone. But I personally use. I mean, how much sense would it make for Apple to start making a digital camera right now? None. 
Although I kind of wish that they would, but in a way, <laughs> I kind of wish that they. I would. I wish they'd make a printer, but I would buy not a, for me, but for my wife. I would buy a somewhat thicker iPhone that had a better camera, and therefore I could be, by making it thicker, the lens could be a little bigger, the sensor could be bigger, and there'd be more distance from a little bit more distance from the lens to the sensor. Um, but I completely understand why they don't want to do that. Um, but I, you know, there's no doubt for me that the vast majority of photos I take anymore, even though I'm I'm a sort of enthusiastic amateur camera guy, uh, are on my iPhone. But if you go anywhere, just I mean, like, I, uh, I was in uh, 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 Penn, not Penn Station, uh, Grand Central Station, the Grand one where it has the Apple Store uh, in December, and. Um, I had to wait over. I had to wait for a few minutes, and I just was like walking. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful concourse, and I just was just looking at people, just people watching. And because it's such a beautiful concourse, and it's uh, a tourist destination, you just you, people after people after people taking photos with their phones. And all I could think is that you know, ten years ago, there'd be I would see almost no one taking pictures. Period, because it's you know. People wouldn't have their – it's not like – sure, outside the Empire State Building, there have always been tourists with cameras taking pictures of the building. But now it's like people take pictures everywhere, and they're doing it with their phone. I think it's one of the biggest disruptions ever. Mm-hmm. And here's a good way to put it. I, if I had – if if the, the phone on my iPhone broke – it's under warranty. It's it's a new 5S, so I would take it to the Apple Store and get it fixed. But I might not go today. If the camera broke, I would go today. <laughs> I would. I would go yeah. today and yeah, and I get did it that. Fixed. I mean, I had I had uh, those. I had like dust in in my camera. I was getting these spots on my pictures. So take it right, take it right over. Got yeah. a new one. Emergency because you know you know you might have a good picture to take tonight. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if I had to go away for the next week. And I had two iPhones, both configured with all my stuff on them, and, and I had to choose one. And one of them couldn't make phone calls, and one of them couldn't take photos. And now I'm saying literally the phone, the phone app that the you know the the let's say that somehow the it can't make phone calls, but the data still works. Uh, I would take the one that you know still had the working camera. It's way more of a camera to me than a phone. I have a hard time of thinking these days about what Apple should do next. Really? I think it's, we, we used to have, it seemed to be easier five years ago or long, yeah. longer ago than that, yeah. like 10 years ago, I guess now. Uh, I mean, the wearables thing, I guess, but I have a hard time. I'm really wrapping my head around that. It seems so much less concrete. It does seems very ill defined right now. And then apart from that, I see just see too many problems with everything else. I mean, the television doesn't make much sense. So, hopefully, they got something. Because I think there's something to be said for the fact. I mean, Neela Patel wrote a piece a, a few months ago now. I think back after the October conference call with analysts, where they reported their results, where Tim Cook was saying again, we've got new. Th- new things coming in the pipeline. And he was, Patel was pointing out that, okay, he's been saying this for kind of a while now. And I think there's something to that, uh, that we're kind of getting to the point where uh, 
Yeah, it'd be it gotta be nice if they introduce something completely new. I don't think they have to to do well, but it would be you know it's kind of to the point where we're sort of expecting something. I think Patel's column on that it was kind of interesting. I forget if I linked it or not. There might have been something in it that that made it. I forget why some something disinclined me to link to it, but um. Uh, it, it was not so much that the that they should have done something by now, and that they're you know, which is the layman's crude cudgel argument against Tim Cook that it's mm-hmm. already a failure because they haven't already shipped something. His argument was a little bit more about uh, what Cook was saying. Yeah, that what he right. says publicly, you know, which is rare because it's not like he's on TV all the time blabbing. I mean, it's pretty much like going to all things D and. Or I guess it's called the Recode now, or whatever um, conference in June or May. Uh, I kind of disagree, I guess, but it somehow it does. I don't know. It's like somehow Steve Jobs could do the same thing, and there's a little bit more depth sure. about it. Uh, I get the feeling <laughs> from watching him. I think he's he's super well prepared. I think Tim Cook prepares for those things. To a degree that a lazy son of a bitch like me just can't even comprehend. <laughs> because I feel like he's he's a little bit more like a good like presidential candidate where he's prepared for every possible question and has an answer ready. And it's all very careful. He's clearly an extremely careful speaker. I think it would be shocking if he ever slipped up and said something, you know, that he regretted. I think he's incredibly prepared, very articulate, obviously very thoughtful, but it's all to me a little canned, prepared. Like he he's already prepared mm-hmm. for all of these questions. Whereas Steve Jobs, he was he didn't much do much more many, off the cuff. Yeah, he didn't do many interviews, but he I think it like all things D was often off the cuff. I think that like the famous trucks cars analogy. I I wouldn't be surprised if he'd made that before. I don't think it was completely wholly new to his brain, but I do think just watching the video. I forget. I just watched it a couple weeks ago again. Uh, it was a little bit more off the cuff, uh, and I think he was a little bit. I think his mind worked so fast that he was. Uh, again, I would have been surprised if he'd said anything he regretted. Insofar as hinting at Apple's future play. Um, but he had a different, just had a different way of talking about the future than, than Tim Cook does. When I can see that there's sort of a, uh, that Tim Cook is maybe teasing a little bit. Yeah. The thing that used to drive people nuts about Jobs and that Tim Cook, at, at, to my knowledge, hasn't done yet is Jobs had that, and everybody knew it. I used to, I think it was so funny, but he would, he would just, completely trashed the entire category as being beneath anybody's interests <laughs> until they came up with until they came it, up right? with something. like uh, the video playing iPod is maybe the best example <laughs> ever because uh, they it was and I think it came to a fever pitch the year that they shipped the one they called the iPod photo because it had a color screen you could sync photographs to it and then everybody, like the press, asked him, "Well, what about why not play video?" He's like, "Nobody wants to watch TV shows or movies on a <laughs> tiny little tiny screen? little screen like this." But then, why? A, why would you want to look at photos? <laughs> <laughs> right? Why would you want to look at photos? 
And then B, they came out with a video playing iPod with pretty much the same size screen a year later. <laughs> and he pulled it off. Like it, I think that's, that's the sort of thing that always drove people who didn't like him nuts. But right. he pulled it off like somehow it was very clear in his head that he hadn't contradicted himself. Like he he believed he hadn't contradicted himself and therefore it, it kind of felt like he hadn't. Yeah. He, he really, I think it would have been the same thing with the with the iPad mini if he had lived long enough because right. he he downplayed that as well. Well, that one in particular though was it was he jumped on a conference call and it was when the first rival tablet started coming out to the iPad. Might have been must have been 2010. So like the iPad came out in February was announced in February. No, I think it would have been later than that cuz I think the first rivals were full sized. Oh, I thought that the, I don't think no. they came out with smaller ones until they until they realized that they couldn't directly compete against the iPad. I thought it was later in 2010, and like well, Samsung came out with the first Galaxy Tab, and it was like an eight inch tablet or yeah, like seven point nine inch tablet. And he he trashed it as having you know really small touch targets and stuff. Um, but if you look at the actual words that he said, he wasn't saying small tablets as a general concept. He was saying these small tablets, the ones that are coming out right now that we've seen from competitors are terrible devices and they have small touch targets and they're too fiddly. And it was all true. And they were huge duds. I mean, even by the standards where the iPad still dominates tablet purchasing and consumption and usage today in 2014, those the first ones, the first Android tablets just were terrible. I remember going into a Verizon store to see the first Samsung one, and it was it was really bad because they had no. I mean, the apps weren't written for that's tablets what, at yeah. all, right. and that's why the stuff was real. It really was. It was like really tiny. Either the stuff was gigantic. It's just the phone size. It was the phone size stuff blown right. up. There was really really small stuff, and it was really fiddly. I think it's fair to say he might have been a little poo pooing smaller tablets, but it, his his scathing criticism was about the actual ones that that were on the market. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he could have. He could have just trashed them in general and said nobody would ever want a tablet. He could have. He could have just said no one would ever want a tablet smaller than than this iPad. And then proudly introduced the iPad Mini. <laughs> and he would have had some and slept, kind of, and slept like a baby. And slept like a baby. <laughs> I love it. All right, one last sponsor. Um, our good friends at the Omni Group, makers of productivity apps. Uh, including the new OmniGraffle 6. OmniGraffle is a great way for beginners or professionals to work on diagrams, lay out pages for print, um, or create website and app mockups. It's for students, designers, engineers, whomever. Just go and have a look. OmniGraffle 6 is the easiest way to get your information and ideas into a beautiful document to share. Uh, it's now available on both the Mac App Store and Omni's own store. Uh, new features, you can mask images directly on the canvas. No need to crop before you place the image. Uh, they have new fill and stroke styles for quick and dirty mock-ups. Uh, when you have a great new design to show off, but you want it to look as rough as possible to um, just sort of emphasize that it's a wireframe, a rough thing. You don't want people focusing on the pixel-level details. Uh, it's easier to share layer access. It's just a click away. The shared layer. Um, uh, Quote, unquote, this is from the talking points they had me. Special stuff to make designing for Retina just plain enjoyable. Uh, Layers stay intact when exporting to Photoshop. 
thanks to help from uh, Gus Mueller at Flying Meat. This is this is that's the best thing about yeah. the indie. This is what what makes the indie uh, software world, Mac software world, great. Gus Mueller, genius one man show at Flying Meat, helped him out with uh, uh, Photoshop layers. Which is a, a if you ever talk to an engineer who's worked on trying to to read PSD documents, you'll you're going to see an engineer who's who's a drinker. <laughs> uh, where do you go to find out more? Go to omnigroup.com. Uh, it's it's really really just a fantastic app. It's always been it's one of the flagships at at Omni. Um, really really great powerful stuff. Back uh, when I back when I worked at the company. I used to do all of our, uh, all that work, all the charting and graphing and st- stuff that I used to do in OmniGraphle because I couldn't, uh, but the company standard was Visio, but I couldn't bear working in Visio. So I would do it on my Mac in OmniGraphle and then export it to Visio. And- I, I might be misstating this history. And if I am, I'll, I'll, I'll do a correction. I'm sure somebody at Omni listens to the show. I, my understanding was that the whole origins of OmniGraphle was that Visio, which is a Windows-only app, and 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 pretty good for a Windows app, but it's you know it's a Windows app. But it became like a sort of de facto corporate standard because it filled this right. niche that Microsoft didn't have. Right? What Excel is to spreadsheets and Word is to word processing, there wasn't a, an equivalent for diagramming. Right. And moving graphical elements around on a canvas, that sort of thing. Um, which, you know, and not like Illustrator, where it's clearly meant for artists, you know, more of a general purpose diagramming tool that a complete non-artist like John Moltz or anybody else in business <laughs> might use. And that the Omni Group is like, well, wait, everybody's asking for Visio for Mac. Why don't we just build something like that, but make it actually like good. And like, a tr- <laughs> you know, instead of like copying Visio, let's do it the Mac way. Yeah, let's do, it do the, the same way. thing. And, you know, and, and stick some sad, sorry engineer with the job of, of, you know, reverse engineering the Visio file format. Cause that was the thing, right. That they could read and mm-hmm. write Visio files. Um, but that was like the whole idea. The idea for the app was like, everybody says this app is great and they want them to build a Mac version. Why don't we just kill them and you know kill the idea by building a true mac version which would be and better they've, they've done the same thing with project management too because they have a they have a great project management app right same type thing where instead of copying yeah. the 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 you know the windows style of microsoft project it's let's do the same thing let's solve the same problem but do it mac style right. great people you can find out more at uh, omnigroup.com um, what were we talking about? Uh, were we still talking about Isaacson or no? We're uh, jobs. We we're talking about jobs and, and how Tim Cook would... and the, the yeah. promising and what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how else you play it though. You know, and it is true. And you know, I, I'm so glad that I, I, what I write about on a regular basis has nothing to do or doesn't have to be anything to do with speculation about what they're going to do as, as we spend 30 minutes on the show speculating on what they might do, (laughs) but that I don't need to, you know, I don't know. I just feel like the rumor sites, I just feel like that's such a desperate, dirty job. Uh, Large, large iPad. Do you want to talk about large iPad? (laughs) Uh, 
I, in some sense, though, I also feel like, and I know that a lot of people have uh, uh, think it's sort of a joke. Because remember, two years ago, I think Tim Cook said they were going to double down on secrecy, mm-hmm. and he seemed very sincere about it. I mean, number one, Tim Cook always seems sincere. He doesn't really seem like a, um, like I said, it seems like everything he says in public is very well considered, and that the fact that he said that did not seem to me to be off the cuff. You know, he meant it. And then things happen like, you know, the, the gold iPhone case leaked and, you know, the, the designs of the, uh, the iPad mini and the new iPad Air leaked. Um, and everybody says, ah, so much for doubling down on secrecy. But I think that that's really all about the, the large-scale ramp-up of, of hardware production in Asia. Um, that those, yeah, because you wrote about you wrote about that before, because you were noting that all those leaks seem to come from right, and the stuff the, that they could keep secret, like the design of iOS seven, they really more or less yeah. did. I mean, there were rumors that it was going quote unquote flat, and I think Mark Gurman at Nine to Five Mac had some like really blurry screenshots like two days before it was announced. But for the most part, when they unveiled that video at WWDC in June, that was a surprise. I mean, it was a really serious surprise as what exactly it looked like and how radical the the visual overhaul was. Um, and I think, let's face it, I mean, I don't. Is, is there anybody who believes Apple isn't working on at least a few major new initiatives? Well, nobody knows what they are. I mean, it seems to me like the doubling down on secrecy worked. That it's true. Seems like Walter Isaacson thinks maybe they aren't. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> the one thing about this whole Nest thing is that I think it spared us from a week of um, overwrought analysis on that new Apple ad. Mm. The uh, what was it called? Your verse. Your verse. Yeah. What do you think? That's the one. That this is the I liked ad. it. I liked it a lot. This is the ad where they show footage of real real iPad users from around the world. Yeah, other doing, other than the fact that it that it promotes taking photos with your with your iPad, I liked it. Uh, I think that I'm telling you, I think that ship has sailed. I think we've all yeah, I know, we've all got to get on board with it. <laughs> and the, the iPad is a camera. People love using it as a camera. Uh, I think Apple has got to get. Which is funny. I mean, it's it's one of those things where we sort of nerdy pedantic people don't. You know, we don't want to see that. Right. It's like it's like seeing the the refrigerator repairman's butt crack. Does it bother <laughs> you less when people are using the iPad Mini as a camera? Sure, it does. I think the iPad Mini. <laughs> I do. It's all about size. I think that in terms of software, clearly the iPad Mini deserves and should run a slightly shrunk version of the iPad software. It should not be at this size, should not be running blown I, up iPhone apps. No. But when you're holding it in front of your face to take a picture, to me, and maybe I'm just getting more and more used to it, but when I see people using an iPad mini as a camera, to me it looks more like they're holding a big-ass phone in front of their face. It, it, <laughs> it looks a little weird, but it doesn't look goofy. When you're holding a full-size tablet, you, to me you look goofy. And for some reason, too, and I don't know why this is, with the full-size tablets, I see way more people who have the cover or the case flapped down, which effectively doubles (laughs) the size of the rectangle with which they're blocking their actual view of everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I don't see that as much with the Mini. I don't know why that is. I don't know. I I don't know. But you can see, I mean, to, you know, 
you, you can see more of what you're taking a picture of on the screen. I, I'll tell you what, you I'd see it better. I, I see so many people taking pictures with the iPads that I really think that Apple should, if they can, and I think it's a cost thing, not an engineering thing, but they should um, get the iPad hardware onto the same camera train as the iPhone 5S. In other words, instead of using last year's iPhone camera, camera and they this should, year's iPad, they should get the iPads on the top of the line camera. And I suspect the reason is cost because iPhones have a higher profit margin because of the way that they're sold with the subsidies that, you know, overwhelming majority of them are sold through phone subsidies and therefore Apple can put higher, you know, that's why the iPhone has the touch sensor and the iPads don't, that it can, they can put more expensive stuff in it. Um, but I think so many people use it as a camera that it's, it's almost like Apple should feel obligated to do it to help them take better photos because they're going to do it anyway. And I've also heard from a lot of people, whenever I bring this up, uh, a lot of people have told me that their family members, you know, in terms of why, why would you do this? Especially like people who have a phone and an, if you have an iPhone and an iPad, you're taking worse photos if you use your iPad. But I've had a lot of listeners of the show and readers of the site who said that they, you know, family members, they've brought this up to. And the reason is that because the screen is bigger, yeah, the, the preview looks better because it's bigger. And so they think they're taking better photos. Taking a better picture. Because it looks better to them as they're framing it. And so that's why when they go to the seashore and they're, you know, taking pictures huh. of everybody on the beach, they use the iPad because they think they're getting better pictures because they see it bigger. You know, and so if everybody if people think if somebody who owns an iPhone 5S and an iPad Air thinks their iPad Air has a better camera, in theory, if they can make it work cost wise, I really think that Apple would do well to put the the leading camera tech into the iPad. The 28-inch iPad Pro. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they're working on a bigger iPad? That's, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Somebody came out with a report like two weeks ago, and I, I and Mac Rumors picked it up and just echoed it. And that the it was an analyst who said you know they're working on like a twelve inch or eleven or twelve inch iPad Pro, aimed at the enterprise, <laughs> and that, that to me that is to me is crazy, right? Because yeah. what I can see how when have they know, ever come out with a product aimed at the enterprise? Right. What? How would they even do it? That would be like. I, and it doesn't seem like that's you know I mean I don't understand why enterprise users would be crying out for a larger iPad anyway. No, I don't understand. I don't understand what what they would think that why a bigger eye, you know, to me, if there's a one market that you might want to target, it would be like the sort of creative industry, which is more natural yeah. for Apple, you know, that people who are using it, you know, to edit video in the field or um, to draw or something like that, you know, all the people using it as illustration, you know, I could see that as a pro market. But I don't see it. I don't know. I think even the name iPad Pro is is a non-starter. Yeah. The only thing I can think of, and uh, the last time I was at Macworld, some guy came up and asked me this after uh, one of some one panel that I was on about just for entertainment purposes, like sitting around, sitting on the couch and watching a movie. And we've had like we had we used to have part of our basement was finished, and that's where we have our big TV. 
and we had water leakage. So the whole thing has been ripped up for a long time now. And so we've been relying on the TV that's in our living room, which is smaller. And so actually when I sit on the couch, because it's so far away and it's smaller, my iPad, my iPad air on my lap is a bigger field of view than the TV. So I actually have resorted to mostly watching stuff on the iPad instead of on the television. Hmm. Unless, unless, you know, if it's like, if it's me and the boy, I'll, we'll, he'll just like sit next to me often and we'll just, we'll just watch something on the iPad. Uh, not always. We, we probably usually watch it on the TV cause he'll sit down front. But, um, but I've found that kind of, kind of nice in a way. And, you know, I wonder if that's like, if that's a different way to disrupt and I'm just I'm just saying this as I'm thinking it really, but to disrupt the television market is to right is to go upscale rather than start at the top and try and, and try and you're you're never going to get a lot of action in that market because those things turn over so infrequently. I mean, right. if somebody buys a big screen TV, they don't they usually don't replace them that fast. But if you have something that's on your lap that you're using to watch entertainment and maybe that's more attractive to younger people. I don't know. Hmm. It's a good question. I did see one of the most interesting things I saw in the CES coverage I saw was uh, somebody linked to, it was, you know, it's just some off brand and you know, nobody you've heard of some Asian company with uh, a kiosk on the floor at CES where they, it, the sign had said TVs. But what yeah. they were were Android tablets, like no-name Android tablets. And I know Benedict Evans, um, who's you know just been killing it the last few years on on analysis of the the this whole that whole part of the industry, has pointed out that a lot of the you know hundred hundred fifty dollar tablets that are sold you know which are often sold in Asia to it you know people in Asia not not big not a big thing in the U.S. yet but even when it is, it's it's really just being used as a sort of touchscreen TV, you know, right. to watch YouTube and any other video that you could get on there. Um, and that is a totally – and, you know, and therefore, not that you can't compare it to iPads, but that it's a very different – you're selling the whole thing short if you just call them all tablets and draw a percentage and – talk about market share because it's such different use cases, even though maybe when they're turned off, they kind of look like similar devices. And if you think about it, I remember it was, you know, growing up, you know, like when we were kids, portable TVs were always like, uh, <laughs> it, it, I wanted it. Oh, you yeah. Know? And I remember I had a friend who had like a little three inch diagonal TV in their kitchen. And I think it was black and white. <laughs> And it, you know, it, it was, you know, and this really dates us. I mean, I know that you know younger listeners of the show are really going to wonder just how old we are. But I mean, it, <laughs> it was it got the TV signal with the the antenna. You know, antenna, it wasn't yeah. even hooked up to cable. Uh, you know, but then they could watch you know like the local news and stuff in the kitchen. Or and Sony mom. had a Sony eventually had a Watchman, right? Right, I think wasn't so. That, yeah, yeah. But it was, was a, like a hand little handheld. Uh, Television. 
I think that probably like, you know like, like look like like the shows. shape more like the shape of a big iPod with you know big old right. old disk drive iPod. Right. But you know we're talking you know this is the '80s so we're talking about like uh, not yeah. the wristwatch thing but like the the one my friend had in the kitchen was a glass picture tube. I mean it was a big device. You had to put it on the counter. You know you couldn't put it on yeah. your lap. Right. And it is you know like you said for, in terms of field of view an iPad on your lap is not not too small a screen. No. Uh, it's bigger, and when you're on an airplane, it's a bigger field of view. It's a bigger screen than any back-of-the-seat screen sure. I've ever seen. Oh, easily. Um, iPad screen's way bigger than the TV screens I've seen on most airplanes. Uh, I would think the Mini is even bigger. Yeah, the Mini is maybe roughly the same, but possibly bigger. I think they're usually like six, yeah. seven inches, um, and, and always so dim and, you know, yeah, they're lousy screens. Yeah, they're really lousy screens. The the colors are terrible. Everything's all washed out. Um, way better. It's you know, and when you're you know you're obviously you know there's a perfect example where you're cramped and you know it's good that the the iPad is going to be close to your face. You're going to get a pretty decent field of view. It's not bad. I usually don't like watching movies on a plane, but I love watching TV shows. Like to me, movies usually you know deserves to be on a bigger, a real bigger screen. But TV shows, it's great. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Maybe that's the Apple TV. I don't know. Could be. I don't know what else they would do. There's one thing with any rumor of future-sized iOS devices that I, every time I read a report about it, I want to hear the explanation for is what is the pixel resolution <laughs> going oh. to be? Well, to make it plausible. Yeah. To, if you yeah. really yeah. know what you're talking about, if your source for this story knows what they're talking about, they should be able to answer the question of what is the pixel resolution going to be? Because Apple to date with every single device has stuck to two effective screen sizes. The well, you know, and then they grew the iPhone a little bit in one direction mm -hmm. um, by changing the aspect ratio, though. It's still effectively the same pixel size, the virtual pixels, not the actual pixels. When they went retina, they just said every virtual pixel is now four pixels, you know, and the iPad is the same. So to me, if they make a bigger iPhone, for example, and I think Marco has a perfect explanation of this, other people have, that they would just do the same thing they did with the iPad, except instead of shrinking it, they would grow it, and they would make an iPhone with the same number of pixels as the iPhone 5S and iPhone 5, but that they would just be 264 pixels per inch instead of 323. So effectively, it would be the same pixel resolution as the iPad Air, and they would just cut a you know, like a 4.6 inch screen out of it. And then your apps would all just work and developers wouldn't have to change anything. They'd, everything would just be a little bit bigger. You'd be blowing right. it up. And that makes total sense. And it would also cause a conniption with all of the <laughs> like people who read the, you know, <laughs> Gadget and Gizmodo and The Verge because it wouldn't be, you know, a 1080p, 1980 pixel. They'd be like, ah, ah, this Android phone has more pixels. Uh, um, but trust me, if the screen is good enough for the iPad Air, it's good enough for an iPhone that's bigger. But I don't when people say when people say that they're going to make a six-inch iPhone, 
Well, then I don't understand because then it doesn't work. Then it doesn't work out. They'd have to come up. And in theory, you know, of course, it could be that they'll say to developers, hey, now you have a new. You got another one. You have a new size to support. You have to, you know, if you want your app to look right on this, you've got to code and design for a new size. Um, With a bigger iPad, I don't know how they would do that because they've already, I think the iPad Air is already running at the minimum number of pixels per inch that they could use to call it retina that if they just just blew it up by another two or three inches diagonally it wouldn't really it would start to look a little bit non-retina or they could make it bigger but then say to developers now you have a new size to support but they haven't done that to date you know when they went retina they didn't say you have a new size to support they said you you're designing for the same size but now everything should be you know twice the resolution Mm mm-hmm so I just don't understand what they would do for a bigger iPad like that. Yeah. And I think it also fits into the, uh, I don't want to say pipe dream, because I could see that Apple <laughs> maybe would do it someday. But there's a contingent of people who desperately want Apple to complicate the iOS UI by allowing you to, say, run two apps side by side. And and what I mean by Uh, that, I'm I'm hesitant to call it a pipe dream because as the future goes on, maybe that's inevitable, you know, as iOS grows and and needs. And I certainly don't deny that at times it would be useful. And if the device actually had a bigger screen, you know, it might make sense. But I'm just saying, don't hold your breath because that would make it more complicated. There's no... Yeah, I don't see that. I don't see that as a priority. Right. It doesn't seem like that's... It certainly hasn't helped the surface that much. Right. And don't get confused starting to think about like what people like us who have loved and and um, thrived using, you know, Macs and Windows and other, you know, dozens of Windows overlapping and apps running at the same time and c- command tab switching that, that, that we don't have any problems with that level of complexity. Don't underestimate just how many people have felt lost for decades using, you know, Windows and Mac computers. And the whole reason they love their iPads is that tap an app, there it is, full screen, tap the home button, go back, now it's closed. And that's it. And, I mean, and there's also just a certain... Jason Snell wrote a piece about how he likes writing on his iPad because it allows him to focus. So there's also just like a an ability to really be in one app at a time and actually focus on that app. Yeah, I totally see that. And I think it's a lot more natural. I think, you know, because it's what it was designed for. I think the single app view, whatever you call it, full window view, full screen view on Mac mm-hmm. is weird. It's always weird. <laughs> in every almost every app. The only apps where I, I thought I, I thought I was gonna use it a lot and I don't I don't use it at all. The only apps where it really works for me are apps like um, iPhoto or Lightroom or iMovie or something like that where you're doing something where you would have been using a window that was truly maximized, like in the Windows sense, where it's, you know, you know, taking up as much of the screen as possible anyway. But like for writing or web browsing or something like that, I never do it. Yeah. Or watching a video, obviously, but why? You know, used to be able sure. to, used to be able to go full screen before there was an official full screen. You know, right? Method. My parents put their iMac into full screen mode 
a couple weeks ago, and it was the most confusing phone call <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> it really was. In, in, in the annals of John Gruber helping out his parents with their Mac over the phone, it was really, really baffling. Like, and, and I do, I love my mom and dad dearly, but it really got to the point where I was starting to get angry. Because what happened was, long story short, is that they had been running uh, an older iMac. And I think, and, and it, it was like on 10.5.8 or something like that. So it didn't have the app store. And because it didn't have the app store, there was no real easy way to get on the, uh, maybe they were on 10.6, I forget. But which, they were on the last version that didn't have the app store. And then the new versions of Mac OS X only came out on the app store. And I, you know, I know you can put it on a thumb drive and, and do that. But it just never, they were happy. They were satisfied. Their sure. computer was working fine. And then uh, the hard drive died and they needed to get a new Mac. Um, and so I helped them set up a new iMac. But now all of a sudden they're running Mavericks. And now they've got, they didn't have full screen mode before. And I guess they clicked, clicked it by accident. But they didn't know they'd clicked it. And all they wanted to know was how to, how to, how to close mail. And I said, just click, click that green button. Click that red button. And they're like, there is no more red button. <laughs> like, there's got to be a red button. <laughs> I was like, what is above the thing? What's... And they're like, Nothing. it doesn't say that. And I was like, well, what's above, what's below the Apple menu? And they're like, there is no Apple menu. And I'm like, there's always an Apple <laughs> menu. And I really, it just didn't occur to me that they would accidentally go into full screen mode. I, I don't yeah. know why, you know, but somehow, like, the fact that they were telling me that they didn't have an Apple menu <laughs> made me so angry. <laughs> and then, like, you're I, wrong. I eventually figured out, I was like, if you move your mouse all the way to the top right, is there like a blue set of two arrows and they're like oh yeah and i was like click that and they were like oh thank you thank you john and that was the best part the best part is they never never grew irritated with my inability to help them or or my oh. growing frustration but it just to me was an interesting thing because they also both have ipads now and they love them and never ever call me with any questions about their ipads right and their ipad apps are always running in full screen mode but that, you know, the way you get in and out with that simple hardware home button, they don't even think about it. Whereas, the, you know, I think that this, I think it was even called, this was part of the quote unquote back to the Mac, you know, initiative right. is now we have iPad iOS style full screen mode. Confused the hell out of them. Just didn't fit. I'm going to try it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start trying it. I'm going to put them all in full screen right now. <laughs> Just see if I can live this way. <laughs> I don't think I can. <laughs> no. Because it doesn't, the problem is it doesn't stick even. So like if you switch to one that's not in full screen, like yeah, tweet, TweetBot I don't think has a full screen. No, no. Because so it's like meant if I switch to, to, I switch to, to TweetBot, then it goes, then everything goes back to to window view. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. No. It's, I, I think long story short, it's really, really hard to add something after the fact when you've started. Oh, except uh, it looked like it, it didn't work in Safari, but it did work in mail. Uh, when you've started with a system design, that the basic system design is that, you know, apps open windows and windows are these draggable, stackable rectangles. And, you know, which is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor that has been useful for us for, you know, 25 years and growing. 
30 years and growing, right? Yeah, the Mac is 30, 30 years old. Um, but it's complicated. But then once you, that's your basic model, having it, you know, it's just full screen mode just doesn't work with it. Yeah. You know, and there's, and there's just, there's too many apps that don't do it. And in the same way, I don't think iOS could support running some apps in little windows that stay right. around on screen all the time. I really yeah, yeah. don't think, you know, you, you can't add windows to a full screen OS. And I think the full screen mode on Mac shows you can't really add it to a windowing OS. I think the only people who use it are people who are able to deal with complex. Like somehow it adds to the complexity rather than reduces it. And it used to have, it, they have it on Windows, and I, for some reason, I mean, it, I think it worked there because it had been in there for forever, really. I think yeah. I think it had been in there since three Windows three anyway, and that made sense, even though sometimes Windows were. But smaller. they still showed the windows, right? They just zoomed the window to take up the full screen. And the same window... You still got the menu bar and everything. Yeah, the same buttons for closing the window or whatever other options yes. are in those things yeah. were still yes. there. They just yes. grew it to, to fill everything on the screen. You know, right. It wasn't really a full screen mode. It was a, a, yeah. a button you could click to say, make this window zoom from every corner to corner of the display. Yeah. You know, in one some sense of people who like that, and I know, like back when a lot of people were switching to the Mac, it was a you know like a t circa two thousand four, five, six, seven, even it was a frequent complaint that when you hit the zoom button, you couldn't the, have right. What they wanted was the zoom button on the Mac to zoom the window to take up the full screen. Take up the full screen, and it'll resize. It'll resize to full screen, but it doesn't. There are yeah. still edges. Yeah, it's often very questionable what. And sometimes, know. yeah, sometimes it'll do something else weird. Right. Sometimes it tries to. To some apps make like a best guess as to what's the biggest size you would want this to be, and it's you know often not what you want. Yeah. Anyway, before we go, you've got, uh, you got a new show. You have a new podcast. I do. It's you and With, uh, uh, John Armstrong yeah. of Blurbamat fame, and Lex Friedman of Lex Friedman fame. What's the name of the show? It is called Turning This Car Around. <laughs> and it is about? Anybody who's a father will know what I'm talking about. It's about fatherhood. We sit around and share. It's more of a, it's not really, I don't think any of us would portray it as offering our advice as fathers. It's more of like a commiseration support group. Tales of for, for Tales of woe. <laughs> Warnings in fatherhood. <laughs> Warnings, yes. Cautious words of. <laughs> uh, so, how many kids does everybody have now? You, you've got Hank. I've got Hank. We got the one. Hank uh, is is how old now? He's just turned ten. Like just like your just like your son. He's a, he's just like a few days. He's like two weeks older. Yeah. Right. So he's a little bit older than my Jonas, and uh, I know John's Lita is almost the exact same age too because I remember, you know, back when, when she was born they documented it on the Deuce and, and Blurbamat. Um almost exactly the same age. Oh, okay. I didn't actually know I didn't know exactly how old Yeah, you don't pay attention so to what got, the other No, time. I don't listen to I just I talk and then I and then I zone out while they talk. Right. Um <laughs> and then Lex has three kids. Uh, uh and John has Marlo too, right? Yeah, how old yeah, is she? So, yeah, so John's got John's got two. Oh two girls. God. Um, uh, f f f 
four, five. Yeah. So that would be great, though. Something so like that. I would imagine. Um, I mean, I get the feeling over the time. I feel like there'll be a lot of good stories. I get the feeling Hank not exactly the easiest, <laughs> not exactly the easiest <laughs> kid, but he's just one. I imagine that you're going to have a lot of fun over the course of the show with all the the problems and hassles of of yes, uh, yeah, yeah. We haven't yeah, just one's enough for us. But uh, yeah, sometimes hearing what Lex has to go through because right. <laughs> kids. Here's the thing: I I had a sister growing up, and it, so it was two on two, two kids, two parents. But I remember we we plotted against them. Sure. I mean, it's. I think it just comes naturally to kids. Yeah. And then once you get to three, now you've got a majority. You know, you can overtake yeah. them. Yeah. Although at the same time, they also entertain themselves because, like, we Hank's got some friends live up the alley from us, and there's three of them, three of those kids in that family, and you know, they just let them, just let them play. And when he has like a kid over to play, often it's just it's easier because the two of them will just be entertaining each other, just running around having a good time. I've, it's a crapshoot in my experience. If they can okay. get in a good in a good uh, zone, yeah. And if they don't, no. I feel like what often happens if two kids get together is that if they can agree on what to play. They're all set. Yes, yes, that's right. But if that's they, true, if they can't, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. All right. What's the name of the show? Turning this car around. And right, it's and at. It's on iTunes, of course, right. um, but it's also at tt-ca.net. Right. And so because all because all the good URLs were taken. Yeah, and it it's, it's not like some kind of. Uh, I mean, this is what you'd expect with a bunch of knuckleheads talking about. Being yes, dads, right. I mean, this That's is right. not. This it's, is not like serious be fun. Hopefully, it's fun. <laughs> this is not like Doctor Joyce Brothers, like serious, no, serious no, advice on how to raise your kid. It's decidedly not. Probably, I'm. I'm guessing uh, the alternate title for the show was "This is Why Daddy Drinks." I, that was one of the considered titles, I believe. <laughs> we had a lot. Of, we had a lot of them. But that <laughs> turning this car around is good, though. I like rose to the rose to the top. I like it. I, I like it. You know why I like it? Because uh, here's why I like the title better than this is why daddy drinks is that uh, most of the reasons why daddy drinks are also the reason why mommy drinks. Whereas <laughs> I'm turning this car around. That's not a mom thing to say. That's a dad thing. My mom Seems never like threatened it. to turn a car around. My dad has gotten furiously angry while driving yeah. the car. I think it is much more father. And I've been, specific. I've been there. I've, I've said it a lot jokingly, definitely. Um, and I think I've probably even said it once or twice in earnest. <laughs> you just sometimes you just have to. My favorite. I, I think the canonical example of that is uh, at, at, towards the, at the right at the beginning of the third act of uh, the first vacation movie where they were going to Wally World. And he goes off and has a. The family wants to turn around and abandon the trip, and he has a, a angry, profanity-laced rant. And and the son Russ from the back seat touches him on the shoulder and says, "Hey, Dad!" And he just goes, "Don't touch." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the canonical example of, of yeah. uh, Dad's had enough behind the wheel. <laughs> so it's TT dash CA. Dot net. net. Yeah. Not bad. Nice short domain. You could just go to iTunes, though, and search for yes. Turn, this, Turn car this Car Around. And you go, it's a great new show. And this is going to be a regular show. This isn't like. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's not a 
No, no fly by night here. We got a we got a bunch of them in the can already. Um, there's two episodes up now. Uh, well, I am uh, looking forward to it. I thought the first episode was uh, was very well done. Good, thank you. Where where it's it's fun for us. So we're and we got God knows it's cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, John. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>